You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome back to a new Rooted Discussions episode of the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I am Tom Knezic. Welcome to episode 64 of an episode, uh, not an episode, of a podcast that teaches you how to make native plant prison hooch. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's what I found out when I went home on uh, after our last episode is I basically described how you make prison hooch, which wow. I didn't I didn't know how to make prison hooch. And I asked I, my wife how she knew how to make prison hooch. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, maybe that's something you should have known about yeah. your wife. <laughs> but uh, but our, our first root discussion consisted of uh, a team of native plant nurseries, which after the fact we realized they all specialized in growing herbaceous plants. Which we didn't do that of, on purpose. No, not at all. Uh, but it was a lot of like grass and like perennial growers. Yeah. And uh, today we decided to kind of shift that to talk about people who grow woody plants. Yeah, because there's so many aspects of our industry. You have the herbaceous, you have woody, you have seed, and each have its own intricacies. And we really, over time, like to discuss all of this. We want to make sure we get to the point where we have a seed rooted discussion mm-hmm. and that one's in the works you yep. know and and we want to you know we may even do a mixed panel at some point mm-hmm. you know we have nothing but time i don't see these episodes ending so you anytime already scared so. matt out of the way i was waiting for the screen just to fade to black i got like 15 yeah. phones in here i disconnected like 13 of them there's two more lines <laughs> yes. right in the middle of your in- your beautiful introduction I'm like, of course i'm that guy uh, yeah. so, tom did I'm you double checking that i did uh, unplug my phone <laughs> too because it's rang we we forget we forget all the time so but today uh we you know we've always said about a lot of our competitors that we're we're extremely friendly with with most of our competitors and and that goes the same for today uh our two guests today and today's guests are two of my favorite people that we work with in in the industry so i'm i'm happy to be a part of that today just saying that (laughs) yeah so we don't want (laughs) to waste too much time and you've actually already heard from him a little bit but you have uh first jim mckenzie from octorero native nursery in uh was it kirkwood pa correct okay and then part of lancaster county yeah yeah and then uh the other guest is matt gettinger from um matt i you i always get confused with your nursery names because i feel like there's two so yeah, I'm going to let what, you tell us <laughs> what nurseries you We have a couple of DBAs. Yeah. You know, for a company that's as old as ours, you know, it started out as a landscape contracting company by my, my grandfather in 1947. So, you know, technically we're landscaping by Country Gardens, Inc., which mm. not a lot of people know. I didn't know that. Business yeah. as a Country Gardens Nursery, which many of you guys have heard of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And, um, and, and we also do business as a company called Long Island Natives, which is really our, our, our native entity that is devoted to the restoration industry. So before we, we go to Jim, and it's just it's something relevant that we've talked about in the office. So, Matt, you're third generation um, a nursery owner. I don't, are you actually owner or? Yeah. 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 Okay. So my father is still involved in the business. Okay. And um, you know, we're 50-50 partners at this point in time. So, and, and what you've done is take a model and by by incorporating Long Island natives kind of change the model a little bit and breathe some new life not that it needed life breathed into it just just saying that it it, it kind of changed the face of it a little bit and we were talking about generational shifts 
in nurseries. And Tom, what were you saying? Like typically where it? Yeah, we we were just talking about this in the office the other day, and uh, there's kind of a I don't want to what's the right word. It's a, like a bit of misinformation that says that a lot of second generations of and this is just in relation to small business that they kill the the small business that their parents built and it actually ends up being a third generation more often than not um but it was the idea that the the first generation kind of comes up with the idea and works really hard they're coming from a typically a poor background to build this business and create a life for themselves the second generation grew up seeing their parents struggle so they know the amount of work that it took to put into it and then it was the third generation and this is why a lot of the third generations of these businesses failed was they saw they just only saw success they saw their they never saw their grandparents struggle and they never really saw their parents in a role where the business wasn't successful and um but but matt you took a different path always the case. like you you left the industry before you came back to be a part mm-hmm. of the family business yeah i mean my story is um well i would say a lot of farms as far as the ones that i'm familiar with here and uh, i'm also i sit on the board of long island's farm bureau and it's a lot of you know multi-generational types mm-hmm. of farms and you know it's funny i you know two quick stories number one you know we know all know each other from going to some of the uh, industry events yeah. trade shows you know most most famously the uh, the baltimore man yeah. show mid-atlantic nurseryman trade show and I remember when I used to walk that show with my father when I was, you know, first getting into the business mm-hmm. and, you know, he would want to introduce me and, you know, most of the uh, vendors, you, you, you start um, seeing the same people year in and year out. And it's one of the events that we all look forward to because yeah. you get to catch up with people uh, kind of like we're doing now without yeah. having that industry mm-hmm. event this year. And it, it's good for us to kind of, you know, before we got on the air here, we were kind of given the opportunity to catch up a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he used to introduce me to people and people would say, what generation are you? And I would, I would say exactly what Tom said. I would say, I'm the generation that runs the business into the ground. And that was kind <laughs> of like my, you know, my opening line. And there was a lot of truth, you know, to, mm-hmm. to that statement. Um, you know, my path into getting into the nursery industry is a little bit, you know, is a little different, but probably some similar stories to other people who are, you know, second or third generations or fourth generations. In, in that, you know, everybody, you know, I, I grew up working on this farm in the summer times and I've come home in the summers from, from high school. Uh, I would be working out in the fields, pruning and just working as, as a general labor hand. And I remember the general manager who um, was running the farm um, almost daily would come up to me and find me and say, whatever you do, do not come into the nursery business. You know, and that was all he, he would say to me routinely. You know, and he meant it. You know, I yeah. think he meant it because we all know how hard uh, yeah. this in- industry can be. And unless you're really cut out for it, you know, mentally, um, physically, um, you know, it's it's not an easy industry to operate in. So, uh, you know, when I, I went to school, I went to you know now now University of Delaware is is, is so famous between Tallamy and Biden, and, yeah. but I went to University of Delaware, uh, not within their HORT program, to be honest. I mean, I took some HORT classes as electives, but I went to school for business. And when I graduated, you know, my dad said, you know, go, go get a job. I was lucky to find an opportunity and uh, was hired right out of school, but I went to work for corporate America. Okay. And so I did that for five years, um, you know, six years. And then I came back to my family's industry knowing that I wanted the opportunity to run my own business. So I went out, got experience outside of the nursery, and then came back and said, okay, you know, 
my um, my wife and I are both from Long Island and we were looking for opportunities here and it, I wasn't necessarily going to come back into the family business but when we started trying to make a life for ourselves and figured you know we want to have kids where do we want to raise them um, this was just an opportunity that I said you know what my family has this farm let me go see what that's all about um, if it doesn't work out I can always go back into corporate America but let me <laughs> let me let me try that on I, I worked there obviously growing up a little bit so I knew a little bit of the kind of the you know the pros and cons and uh, once I got into the industry uh, I guess for the you know officially as a as a young professional that's when I had to start looking around and looking at you know where we wanted to bring this business so that we could you know run a sustain you know sustainable and when I say sustainable I mean financially sustainable um, mm -hmm. farm in the 21st century and you know the, the rest of it is kind of just um, looking at opportunities and you know living around the country I kind of had a very good um, idea of where kind of the landscape industry I lived out in California for okay. a couple of years mm -hmm. you know and so looking at water mandates and looking at some of the things that they were uh, moving towards from a native planting standpoint when I got back home and I kind of saw that there was this opportunity out there in our industry um, it was something that I gravitated towards it was something that I felt um, you know, it's in fairness, and I think that you guys know this, and I'm always very transparent about it. We still run a wholesale yard yeah. up here, and that is still part of our legacy business. And it caters to landscape professionals across, um, you know, a grand scheme of, of types of uh, types of professionals, from yeah. high-end residential to uh, public works type uh, professionals. And once we started getting into some of the native uh, planting. Um, projects that we were working on it it really had a rewarding experience or a rewarding end result when you got to see okay this was you know a formerly disturbed site and this is how it's going to be uh you know rehabilitated and why it's going to be important for the future and you know once i kind of saw that there was you know you become passionate about it and mm -hmm. once you combine kind of that passion with you know your resources and you start putting some things together that's kind of what got that whole native uh, side of our and, business going and that's how i that's how i felt when i came to this side of the industry from the ornamental side after all those years you know and it's but you know the other thing too is companies change over time we're not the same company we were 35 years ago we started selling to to garden center chains and it was mm -hmm. berries and it was right. you, you know it was things that maybe weren't native here and, it, and it's it, it's evolved to get us to where we need to be but it's there's always that step you know and constant changing so um, you go from a third generation nursery owner, Jim, you're a first generation nursery owner. So how did that come about to, to want to start your own nursery? I, I guess at the time, really native plants weren't like a fashionable, it's not the industry that it is today mm -hmm. when you started your nursery. Yeah. And actually I don't, I don't take credit for starting it. <clears throat> okay. I have a partner as well. And, uh, he had an environmental consulting firm down here in Southern Chester County. And uh, mostly all wetland mitigation, delineation, things like that. And, um, you know, he recognized at the time, um, obviously, it was early on in the profession. This is late 80s, early 90s. There was environmental concern. There was Pinelands. There was North Creek. There were some of the early adapters out there. <clears throat> but he saw it more from the standpoint of, you know, the need for wetland mitigation plants. And so he started Octorero as a spinoff of okay. that consulting firm. And um, within two years, we were talking uh, because both businesses were kind of getting beyond his ability to manage them from a growth standpoint. So, but um, 
Yeah, as far as um, yeah, we don't we don't have any generational play into this right now, not at this okay. point. Um, but um, I actually look at it more. I even go back sometimes to think about it. I, I think this goes all the way back to my childhood. I grew up playing in the streams of North uh, Western Pennsylvania, always around water from the day I got home from school till it got dark. And um, to this day, uh, a lot of what our plants go to are water quality related projects. Okay. And I do believe there's some connectivity to that. Um, and also then I got my degree in, uh, at Penn State in the mid eighties in landscape architecture. So I was, you know, it's a very diverse field. I was always drawn to the professors that were speaking more in, in terms of environmental stewardship and the, um, the sustainability part of things, um, just sort of getting legs at that time within, within the educational area. So when um, my partners, Mark and his wife, Kelly, I was uh, a cubicle mate of Kelly's for two and a half years in Philadelphia okay. for a landscape architecture and architecture planning firm. and. Um, got a little disillusioned that was during the booms of the 80s i think we were solely responsible for the paving of most of bucks county um <laughs> and it just wasn't what i was looking for so i took some time away and then she wrote me and said hey things are going good and i'd said if you guys ever get going let me know and so that's how that's how it turned out we uh, spent about nine months putting the partnership together and that's where i am now Wow. So, and I don't know how you feel about me bringing this up. And if I have to go back and edit it out, I, I will. But Octorero is a full-time job for you, but you have more than one profession. You went back to school and actually learned a different trade and, and you have another another job as well. Can Do you, do you mind talking about that? No, uh-uh. okay. I'm also a, a registered nurse. I'm a mental health nurse as well. Uh, back in the early 2000s there was a chance that our lease actually we don't own the land that we're on our lease may not have been renewed and so my partner and i were like hey do we really want to pack up this whole operation that we've spent 20 some odd years and move it to another location and stuff like that and we both decided maybe not so we, we were kind of on the edge uh about what we would do but i just woke up and you know my wife the movie movie reference my wife said i just woke up one morning and said it was uh, downloaded in me like the matrix you know just <laughs> and i said i was going back to nursing school my dad was a, a surgeon so um i went in it the lease resolved itself but i was enjoying myself so much that uh, my partner and our employees all supported me continuing on it so i kept going and uh, yeah so it's a it, it's good I'm, I'm one of those people that need diversity in my life i have been doing this for over 20 some odd years and uh it was good timing so yeah so i do both see tom that is why i feel lazy yeah <laughs> that yeah, that is exactly. why like i don't know how how i can't imagine balancing that because you still work as a nurse you, you oh, know no kids <laughs> <laughs> for those of you who had kids you, you know that would be hard to do that's true i need to get involved more yeah. so tom's involved in a lot I, I know you all are i'm this is my involvement so <laughs> so i was we, gonna say i could really use a, you know a mental health practitioner around here yeah. about you know 10 months out of the year <laughs> yeah, trust me we, we, we use it daily around here <laughs> so we should personally and professionally so we should uh go into so people are a little bit more familiar with your operations if they're not already just what each of you what your specialty is in the native plant uh nursery field like we all have our, our different specialties um and i know some of you may do more than just woody and i know we're trying to discuss you know some of the woody aspects of it but um if you could discuss uh you know just what your your niche is in in the market uh jim do you want to go first 
Actually, if it's okay, I was going to suggest Matt here. I failed okay. to fill up my little water. Oh. I'm going to butt out, get some water, and I'll be right back. This is very unprofessional right now. This is- <laughs> I love it. <laughs> in here today. Uh, yeah, I mean, so our specialty, I would say, you know, we, we're on an island. Okay. Um, and so, you know, our focus, you know, moving forward and probably over the last, you know, five years has been to focus on uh, kind of uh, shoring up living uh, coastlines. Okay. And so we really specialize in a lot of that coastal vegetation. Um, you know, we've got a tremendous amount of different, you know, estuary systems that are here, um, bays. Um, we've got uh, the Fire Island National Seashore um, to the south of Long Island. And so there's just so much, um, uh, you know, coastal waterway systems. And we grow a lot of the woody shrubs that, that end up um, being utilized in some of those ecosystems, as well as some of the herbaceous as well yeah. that we that we do focus on. I would say that's, you know, predominantly our our, our specialty, okay. um, catering to kind of that Long Island East End market. Um, but you know it, that that same um, you know that same specialty carries us through uh, the five boroughs in New York City as well. Obviously, okay. there's a lot of you mm-hmm. know, coastal waterways in that area, and then we um, we're, we're able to. To participate a little bit in some of the New England areas because it's not, it's just a you know a hop you know it's a short bu- yeah. uh, boat ride from Orient Point over to uh, over to Connecticut and so mm-hmm. that's kind of our, our our specialty area where you know we try to produce or have um, you know stock ready to go to to cater to those projects and the other thing that I would say is that we are um, you know having a wholesale yard here and being able to cater you know. Uh, handle larger material, we become a little bit more of a one-stop shop for larger size material and then combining it with some of the restoration sizes as well Hmm. so that we can kind of cater to projects, um, you know, admittedly more towards the eastern end of Long Island where they want, they may want, you know, uh, large calipered white oaks, for example, but that's going to be paired with some type of uh, maritime meadow situation. So that's kind of our specialty. Awesome. I'm I'm actually going to because I was confused for a long time about this too. So Matt, I'm going to have you explain what is a wholesale yard because I don't think a lot of people actually know what that is. <laughs> oh, a wholesale yard. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I mean a wholesale yard is basically a, a I think of it as a kind of a retail uh, garden center for professionals. Mm-hmm. Um, so usually you're catering to a more larger size landscape size trees for professionals that are installing mature landscapes. Uh, for the most part, that's you know that's how I would describe a wholesale yard. It's kind of like a, a Home Depot if Home Depot was just dedicated towards landscape professionals and didn't have a, a retail component to it. Mm. So it's just dedicated to trade professionals. Um, you know, we're not open to the public, um, which, you know, is, you know, people are always trying to come in and persuade me that they are a trade <laughs> professional when they're not. Um, but it, so that's it, it's basically a, a a landscape store that's set up for the profession. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. What what I was going to say earlier, and I'm, I'll go back to that in a second, is that the one thing I noticed when I first started here is that the the residents of Long Island and the work that's being done there, they're very passionate about mm-hmm. getting a local seed source. And and before you, a lot of that wasn't available to them. But there's a lot of great organizations, Rewild Long Island. Uh, just to name a few, and and they they really had been looking for that local native native thing because it is unique. It it, mm-hmm. it definitely is different than you know the pine barrens on Long Island are different than the pine barrens in New Jersey. So it's it's nice that that you were able to do that because I know that need was there, and I'm sure 
like people like sighed <laughs> like yes finally yeah i mean to tell you the truth i mean that's uh that's something that has been you know there's been a need for it um you know for the last that that yeah. that need still has not been filled. You mm-hmm. know, to be completely honest, it's been a um, a challenge for us to get local seed. You know, with the Long Island Providence, it's available in um, for some species. It's not available for everything, yeah. and there's a lot of politics, as you guys know, involved yeah. with being able to collect seed from certain areas. Um, you know, I would like to give a you know a, a plug to the Long Island Native Plant Initiative, mm-hmm. which was started as a nonprofit specifically for that reason to to kind of bridge the gap and make local seed available, so local ecotypical seed of Long Island available for the masses. And you know that that organization has been around for just about as long as we've been around, quite honestly. So for about twelve years, mm-hmm. um, they might you know predate us by a year or so. Um, I remember when that organization kind of first popped up, it was um, actually the name was Long Island Native Grass Initiative before they changed it to Plant Initiative. And it was really all about being able to, um, you know, produce uh, local ecotypical seed um, for some important species that are, that, you know, have uh, importance to different plain areas here on Long Island. And that organization still exists today. Um, you know, they're starting their own founder plots and trying to trying to really get more seed out there. Uh, but it's been a challenge for us, quite honestly. And that's mm-hmm. why, you know, Fran and Tom, as you guys know, I mean, we use you guys um, for seed source as well. And, you know, it, it, it's a challenge for us to get that ecotypical seed here on the island. So we have it for some species. For some species, we just cannot get it. You know, there's mm-hmm. just not the means for us to be able to, um, to get it, to process it, to collect it. Um, and so, you know, it's still something that there's a lot of opportunity and that's, you know, as I look forward for the next, you know, decade, that's, you know, probably our number one priority. And that's that's a tough pill for some of our customers to swallow when the, when they're like, well, you grow most of these things. Can't you just grow sheep laurel <laughs> for us? You know, or, it's, or it's something It's like, well, we, we're doing everything from seed. Like you have to find a seed source, a viable seed source, and then you have to learn how to propagate that plant. It's not mm-hmm. just because you know, you hit a home run on some things behind the scenes, you may have swung and struck out for 20 years <laughs> before you finally hit that home run and figured out how to do it. So it's, you know, it's, it's not as easy to do everything. It takes small steps. And over time, it, you know, it continues to grow. But Jim, what is your niche in, in the native plant nursery market? Well, I, I was thinking before we started this, you know, you could probably make this your shortest podcast on history. And, and Matt and I could just say everything that Pinelands does. <laughs> we could all go out, have a drink someplace, you know, catch some food. And uh, so. Uh, but I don't yeah. think that's true. And I'll explain it's, why it's not, after. It's not. It's not. It's not. Um, we are presently just uh, native trees and shrubs, woodies only. <clears throat> but you were talking about the dynamics of businesses changing. We didn't used to be that way. We used to, we originated as Octorera wetland nursery. And we were about 80% wetland herbaceous aquatic species. And that was driven by, as I said earlier, a lot of the wetland mitigation uh, that was uh, happening in the 90s Um, and only about 20% woodies. But over time, uh, several things happened to that market for us, uh, particularly freshwater wetlands. Uh, One is uh, the coal of wetland mitigation actually started to make sense. Developers and highway departments started avoiding developing in wetlands because it was so expensive to mitigate those impacts. So that was sort of the whole point. You know, it's like, so, you know, even though it affected our market, we gradually start to see that decline for that freshwater wetland herbaceous aquatic. 
it was because like we were doing the right thing from a design community we were avoiding these impacts and so therefore there was a decline in that um, and it and at the same time there was starting to be more focus on Pennsylvania streams we have we're only second to Alaska in terms of stream miles in the state and we have a lot of very degraded systems um, from our legacy extraction industries of coal acid mine drainage um, we have uh, going out we've got legacy sediments in all of our valleys from the thousands and thousands of mill dams that blocked up our valleys and things like that and highly eroded <clears throat> and a driving factor is that you know 86 percent of the uh, chesapeake bay drainage is in pennsylvania mm -hmm. so the bay uh well we don't <laughs> we don't have the bay it certainly is a major impact from pennsylvania and uh that's from whether that's point source or non-source point source solution. So more and more focus started shifting to our streams and therefore more and more focus started shifting to the woodies. And over time, it got to the point where we got down to just a couple of greenhouses of herbaceous and we we're like, hey, you know what? This is kind of silly right now. We're just, you know, uh, it's just not there. So we decided to make the full switch, change the name. And that was where we got to today. And to this day, those water quality and stream initiatives uh, largely drive our business. Uh, we, we were also fortunate to be a part of the Maryland Reforestation Act of 1991. Personally, I'm in favor mm -hmm. of every state in the union having a Reforestation Act. Um, but unfortunately, it seems like Maryland's the only one. But um, so our proximity to there also provides opportunity. But we're pretty much a whole mid-Atlantic based company. Awesome. Now, I think what, what divides all of us is our location. Um, you know, we're, we're coastal plain. You're more where you're at. Is it Piedmont or Appalachian? Yeah, uh, it's Piedmont. It's Piedmont. So, but, but we sell across the entire state, yeah, which yeah. is Appalachian plain from where I grew up after Appalachian plateau to Ridgeon Valley down to coastal plain around Philadelphia. So yeah. we've got it all. So you have, you, you have location, Piedmont. um, and you have size and, and you're doing some unique sizes that not everyone does. Um, which I find interesting as well. So even though we may grow a lot of the same plants, we don't necessarily grow all the same sizes. Mm -hmm. So, and there's different needs for different product types and, and it suits it. So what I, I do want to go just briefly into sizes a little bit of what sizes you do grow. Like what, what do you specialize in and why those sizes? Jim, you want to go um, since we're, yeah. Yeah, we, we grow everything from what we call our container seedlings, which is our smallest sellable size, up to a seven-gallon container tree. Okay. Uh, generally, the, the both the trees and the shrubs available from container seedlings, two gallons and three gallons. Trees generally twos, threes, fives, and, the, and obviously the container seedlings. So the container seedlings for you know people listening, that is, it's sort of like the equivalent of like a two-quart pot. Uh, it's also known as tree bands within the industry. Some people will call it as a large tubling, but it's a, a three by three inch square pot, nine inches deep. They're sold in flats of 25. And right now there's a lot of uh, push on that size for us because we have some large contract grows with uh, several customers for riparian reforestation. And that's driving um, some pretty significant volume for us. But we um, certainly have room for everything. Um, you know, most of this restoration work, there's there's no silver bullet out there for this type of stuff. Um, people have preferences, they have budgets, they have site constraints, all of which creates, you know, they sort of dictate what they want. They all come with the post-planting maintenance. I don't care what size you're planting in, you've still got to address that. 
Um, so we have people that just prefer going with larger two gallons to seven gallons and off they run. And we have people that go with the smaller stuff and, you know, tree protection and tree shelters. So um, the smaller material is sort of driving things right now, but um, I fully expect that to come back into a little bit more balance in the next three to four years. And what I love about your containerized seedlings are that there's enough heft to it. It's Yes, it is a smaller plant, but there's enough heft to it, especially when you get into your region and you're dealing with heavier soils for survivability standpoint it gives a little more top growth to to uh fend off some some uh, um i don't want to say competitors yeah yeah it's still i know it's still you know but it's it's other competitors as Mm -hmm. well you know just invasive pressure things like that and it has the root growth to to stand up to those heavier soils so it's i think that's a unique Mm -hmm. size that you don't really see that that it's very special size and needed size in our industry a good it's a good growing system it's an expensive growing system uh and with the price of plastic as we all know with covid related supply mm-hmm. chain issues it's getting even more expensive but it's an air pruned container it puts a great root system on the plant some people uh approve them i think the state of virginia accepts them in lieu of one gallon containers just because of that mm-hmm. root mass yeah. so um but yeah it's a good size for us but we we also enjoy the larger material and it's fun to have a six to eight foot tree too now what what i commiserate <coughs> with matt with with the lot you mentioned larger trees or caliber size trees having worked at Princeton Nurseries, you know, that's a that's a production plan that you put together sometimes. You know, we were growing it from, from seed or, or tissue culture or, or grafts ourselves. You know, sometimes that's a seven-year plan before that, that plan is saleable, and you don't know what the market's going to be seven years from now. And, and you don't know, especially if it's designed spec, if there's going to be a job that needs those trees. So I, I, I know how difficult that is, and I appreciate therefore not too many people do it (laughs) you know so i appreciate that you're still doing it you know it's um well the reason that we're still doing it is because that's what i walked into you know quite frankly is you know we were predominantly a you know a field uh, operation um when i you know when i started we had some container production but not certainly not to the extent that we have it now and so we just really didn't know any better um you know, and I, I, I wish there was like some other explanation, but you know, really, yeah, I feel like that is that is certainly part of it. It's because that's what we always did. Um, at least that was some of the answers that you know that I was getting when I was starting to ask uh, probably too many questions. <laughs> so you know, so you know, so it was you know, listen, everything the grass is always greener. Yeah, and everything has its fair share of challenges. Um, you know the staple for the industry from a woody standpoint and the predominant uh, tree spec that we used to grow for. And a lot of it was due to the contract that you guys are, you know, very yeah. much uh, were a part of as well from a supply standpoint uh, and working with me. And that's, you know, yeah. a large part of, you know, how, how our relationships had started too with that million tree uh, project in the restoration side of that business or the restoration side of that contract, I should say, you know, we were growing 16,000 native trees per year for New York city parks. And that was a two gallon spec. And, you know, before that, we weren't really growing trees in, in, in a two-gallon spec. And quite honestly, we still do some in two gallons, but I've kind of gravitated away from that just due to some of the challenges that we have, trees blowing over, et cetera, et cetera. And so we do a lot more, you know, one gallons because we just have a better system for it, figure it out. Um, and, and then, you know, for trees that we want to get into that, you know, four to six foot range, we'll, we'll grow them in a three-gallon. Um, and so that dynamic shifts, you know, depending on the contracts or, or whatever your target market is and trying to understand where that need base is going to be, I think it shifts, you know, shifts around your production. 
but we certainly still do uh, field grown, you know, trees, um, you know, albeit we don't do as many different species in the fields as we used to, number one, just because we've converted those fields over to container operation over the last 10 years. Um, but, you know, any of the, you know, a lot of the evergreens will still do in field production. So we're still doing eastern white pine, we're still doing pitch pine, we're still doing um, uh, eastern red cedar. You know, so we're growing those species. Mm -hmm. we, we do we grow a, a tremendous amount of, of, of bayberry in the fields as well. Okay. So we'll still do a lot of those woodies, uh, you know, where it makes sense in the fields. And because we have uh, a market for those trees as they mature, I mean, uh, and, and, you know, for better or for worse, I should say, because a lot of times when you feel like you could be into a really efficient production plan, there's always that thought in the back of our minds, well, you know, somebody was looking for that 14 to 16 foot pitch pine. So, you know, we might as well just keep them in the field and grow them on, you know? And so you, uh, sometimes you learn some of those lessons or you have to kind of, like you said, you make a plan in the winter time, this is my production plan. And then, you know, two weeks later, you're, you're shredding it or throwing it out, the, you know, throwing it in the trash and, and, and changing your plans based on, you know, a job that occurred or a market opportunity that you didn't uh, foresee a little bit earlier. But yeah, that production cycle can be, um, can be challenging on, you know, a seven, eight, nine, ten 10 year turn. Yeah. Uh, you know, just to mention, I think this is my 12th year in this, in this nursery since returning. Wow. I think we just, just maybe two weeks ago, cleared out the last legacy field item that I had when I started that I had not planted. Wow. Which was a, you know, a field of uh, Eastern red cedars, believe it or not. So we had kept those cedars because on Long Island, there's a tremendous demand for landscape size cedars up to, you know, 16, 18 feet tall. And so we had kept those cedars in that block. And that was the last remaining block legacy block that wow. I inherited when I, when coming back to this farm a decade, you know, a little bit wow. over a decade ago. Wow. And you know, every, every product size has its challenges. Like if you're growing trees in a two gallon, there's only so much of a shelf life for that before you have to get that up the door before it's root bound. You know, if you're doing larger B and B, it might be most natives, not not all, but in the Northeast, a lot of natives are fall dig hazards. They don't like to be harvested in the fall. So now you're limiting yourself to a spring. And how do you know what to harvest if it's not sold? And how much do you want to hold? It's they all have their challenges, but they're all equally rewarding because someone's doing it because the demand is there. <laughs> someone's telling you, "Hey, I I have a need," and especially in Long Island, yeah, there's there's um and correct me if i'm wrong matt like you definitely have your restoration purposes but if some of this larger stuff is going to a lot of the the beach community you can't put small little one gallon trees in front of a, a two million dollar mm -hmm. three million five million dollar home it just doesn't for scale doesn't really work out quite the same way yeah 100 percent. and then i mean right now you know we're, we're getting a lot of that overlap too which is great to see so you yeah. know you're starting to see landscape architects you know designers start specifying more native mm -hmm. and you know so the more that they specify the more you know we see that opportunity to grow larger sizes for those opportunities and now that native plants are becoming not just used for the restoration industry but they're finding themselves in you know kind of that you know that hybrid ornamental native uh residential site it's it's cool to see um yeah. Um, but, you know, we're, and the challenge again is that we're, you know, we're farmers. And so when we see that opportunity now, you got to, you know, it's it's one thing to have 3,000 two gallon, you know, plants. It's another thing to have 3,015 gallon plants, right? Just the, the amount of 
you know, the scale of the operation and, and the space that you have to try to find to grow a residential grade, you know, ornamental native plant in a large size, it really is exponentially more square footage that you that you require. And so all these factors come into play, you know, when making those types of decisions. Yeah. And Jim, is that something that you see as well? Is uh, It seems like a lot of the native plant crowd is do-it-yourselfers. They want small sizes. They want to, a lot of them even want to just grow it from seed themselves. But like what Matt, what Matt was saying, a lot of these landscape architects that are working on some of these uh, higher end residential homes, well, they're trending more native. Is that something you see in, in your area of the, the country too? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Matter of fact, I think, uh, you know, a series of events here, I mean, you have to really step back in the whole, you know, we've been involved in this for th uh, 30 years. And, uh, you know, when we first to the to the shows that Matt spoke about down at Mance, we were one of like three growers that were advertising for native plants. Now you can't walk the show without everybody having a native plant banner out yeah. in front of them. So one of it is, is just over these decades, you know, the drumbeat has been going and native, you know, garden magazines have picked up with it. The traditional trade has picked up with it. Um, you now got the native R's and the cultivars. So you've got the industry walking that way. The conservation and environmental restoration community has certainly continued to walk in that direction. And I think just within the last couple of years, when you see the effects of the gardening public getting hit with uh, the information about Doug Tallamy's books and the pollinators and the benefits in the, in the National Pollinator Institutes, I mean, you know, uh, agencies, government, they're all sort of on board with this, academic institutions, I mean. Uh, there's just been a lot of movement for a long time. I, I'd say that's always been a, a gentle, but you know, noticeable slope of increase in demand. I think you throw COVID and everybody went out into the yards and rediscovered and stuff like that. We saw a tremendous boost in terms of that sort of, I, I call it our retail market. We don't yeah. do a lot of retail, but we sell to people that specialize in natives and retails. We also sell to a lot of nonprofits that have sales for their fundraising and you know, extending their mission and things like that. And um, yeah, we got repeat sales, you know, once they were able to be open during COVID, um, just, you know, it seemed like that market was definitely hitting and I don't personally believe it's gonna go away. Um, I think you're gonna continue to see more of that demand and, and, and you know, it is that overlap of restoration versus, I call it the, the either the customized commercial or the customized residential. Um, it's the folks of, uh, you know, the Larry Wieners of the world and folks like that, um, the garden designers that are specializing in these crossover projects for the residential. Maybe it's a, uh, a small garden plot in Philadelphia. Maybe it's a 20 acre horse farm out here in Chester County. Yeah. It doesn't matter. The demand is definitely there and we're, we're seeing an increase of it for sure. So I, I did want to touch on and, and we've all kind of mentioned it. Speaking of the public and the awareness to public. Mm -hmm the three of us sitting here talking are all wholesale nurseries. So I just, you know, and that's disappointing. You know, a lot of our, it, we're probably 50, 50 half, you know, 50% of our listeners are in the industry. The other 50% are, are, are homeowners mm -hmm. and they're going to listen to this and get excited. And then at the same point, get disappointed that they can't purchase from any, any of us. But there's a reason for that, and we kind of discussed that on the last podcast with growers. And I'm just curious your reasons why that each of you chose to be a wholesale nursery as opposed to a retail nursery. And, I, and I'll start off with when we interviewed Don and Suzanne Knezic, Suzanne said, well, my reason was selfish. I didn't want to work weekends and nights. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted my weekends, so we chose wholesale. So, <laughs> you know, and it's 
and 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 I can see that. So I'm just curious each of your reasons for for your business type. Yeah, I mean, Matt, I can, can go you first. Go, yeah. I mean, we, you know, we, again, going back to kind of, and I hate to keep saying that, but, you know, I, I inherited a wholesale business, and so that's where we were. Um, but I think that every generation or every manager that comes onto a farm always wants to kind of test the waters and just make sure that they're not missing an opportunity. Yeah. And so, you know, my partner is my father, and, you know, just even – you know, we talk about all that, all different types of things, but I'm sure at one point we discussed, Hey, you know, is there an opportunity here to sell retail on the weekends? You know, you go through all those conversations. Yeah. I was, I would imagine most nurseries have those yeah. types of conversations, even if the answer is here's why we don't want to do it. Yeah. Um, and in his, in his rationale was, 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 was very much like, uh, you know, Don and Suzanne's, which is you work so hard during the week. There's only so many hours you can spend with your families. And so if, um, and, and so the retail retail is tough with with giving up your weekends, and I think that was a big portion of 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 why uh, we went the wholesale route. Yeah. Um, and then the other the other part of it is retail is just tough in general, uh, <laughs> regardless of the industry. Yeah. You know, retail can be tough. Yeah. And we all know that it's you know it's 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 that one squeaky wheel you know person you know customer and that is very challenging to uh, appease. And, you know, for, for one reason or the next, I mean, that you just, you try to limit, we have so many headaches that, that occur uh, day in and day out. You try to limit that. And so retail is a whole nother world of headaches that quite frankly, I think all of us have, you know, just a limited amount of, of, of mental health and, yeah. you know, that's uh, where uh, maybe Jim has an advantage in this conversation. And it's definitely a different mindset too you know i you couldn't plug me in to do retail sales i'm not well i may be good at it for a you know a small period of time but i'm not wired that way um and i'm fortunate that i found the wholesale side of it first because otherwise it may have pushed me out of the industry or any retail industry but jim how about how about you? I, I my first question is how do you guys get away with not working weekends i'm in the wrong <laughs> profession yeah. i'm working for the wrong company <laughs> You know, this is That's the, the mystery to me, right, man. I, I'm working weekends. I will I'm say this: working don't weekends, and then there's like working retail weekends. First of all, I don't those are different. Don't ruin it for me, Jim. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't. You're, you're stop, cut, cut. Well, listen <laughs> you, to, to Tom's comment earlier about uh, unprofessional and walking away from the podcast. You know, yeah. just remember who sent the invitations here. Yeah. Well, okay. you know, I I will <laughs> say this: be, be, before you kick in, you know, having worked at numerous nurseries before i ended up here all of which we worked we had saturday hours and you find that those saturday hours were clustered in with people not your best customer there you were a customer that couldn't be organized enough to get their their business you, done you, we said no cursing yeah. in the beginning uh, of the episode <laughs> but i know you want to no no <laughs> they can't get no, their they, what together friend. no they couldn't get their <laughs> their business yeah. together in the regular work week and they don't really know or you, mm -hmm. you have like a weekend warrior or something like that so you were open and you're doing some business but it wasn't productive business it wasn't your best customers you were there getting work done so that was the reason to do it but you just kind of realized i think everyone that i've you know, having done it, you talk to other nurseries that are doing it, and you're like, I don't even know why we're open on Saturdays. It's not, it's not accomplishing anything. So when I came here, and 
they had already realized i don't you know the customers just realized hey you're not open on saturday i need to get my my stuff together to make sure i get it by friday mm -hmm. and it just it works yeah i don't think we've gotten we even so when i started here we uh during the like the busiest parts of the year we had someone stay late till five normally we'd close at four thirty, but we had someone stay till five mm -hmm. just to answer the phone and uh and i kind of put the kibosh on this and the people who call after 4 30 everyone knows we close at 4 30. yeah the people that are calling after 4 30 are usually like a, a pain in the neck <laughs> like like the friend was saying they don't have it all together and and couldn't get it ready by the time that we're or we were open and um yeah there's that being said i usually i'm staying here in the office until 5 5 30 sometimes 6 getting stuff done and uh i always end up answering the phone when it rings and it's still yeah it's, it's there's one out of every 10 is like really good and that you, might even be generous you, but then it's that one makes you keep picking up the phone yeah so yeah uh, <laughs> but, uh, i think listen retail is a very different business yeah. oh yeah equate the yeah. two uh, you, yeah. you really yeah. there's such different business models it takes a different personality it takes a different everything mm -hmm. i i really don't believe they're even Yes, they both sell plants, but they are very, very different. And I'll, I'll be honest, I don't know. There's a few maybe, but I don't know a whole lot of people that do both well. I don't mm -hmm. think there's many yeah. people that do wholesale and retail very well. It's kind of like the landscape contractor that might want to have a small nursery. I think it's very easy to, to just spread yourself too thin. If you want to do it well, I think you got to pick your bed. Mm -hmm. And it, just like, you know, ours was always geared towards the restoration community this was yeah. built towards contracts and these types of projects so it was already set up for more of a wholesale um but i have worked in retail as i'm sure others have and you know you it, you can take it for a little while and unless you're really driven by retail um it's it's a whole different i've consulted with a couple of nurseries uh in retail and uh but it's it's not even the same business it, it's a different mm -hmm. infrastructure so you couldn't operate Absolutely. retail with with the amount of employees that we have mm -hmm. now are, are office personnel. There's, there, we'd have to hire three more people to to take phone calls, um, probably easily to to handle retail because there's but just that, not enough time in the day. Yeah, but that being said, like on our website, and I, you know, we purposely do this. Is you know, we've got the button right there that says find your retail nurseries, mm -hmm. and so we've got, and and I'm always asking if you know of anybody else that sells retail. By yeah. all means, let me know. We'll get them posted. Um, and so you go to our website, click on a box, and you'll get it by the states around us. And, uh, you know, our whole thought in this is, is we can help supply these places. They might be buying all of our plants for bump-ups into larger sizes, growing mm -hmm. them on, or they just might be turning them in. Uh, and doing what they do, but I'd rather have those people that are really engaged. And it's so encouraging because 20 years ago, retailers and straight natives were failing. You, they mm -hmm. couldn't they couldn't survive. Now they can. They're they're a little more business savvy. They've got a lot more diversity. They might be combining it with a you know a wine bar or something like that, or poetry readings or coffee or I mean you know they're understanding that they are retail and the natives are a component to it, but they've got a much better uh, footprint to work on from a business model and there's enough demand out there to keep them sustained so i'd far rather promote that type of business than compete against it they're becoming teachers you know yeah. which is which is a great thing and it's uh they're passionate about it they're the 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 retailers that specialize in natives are living that lifestyle which which mm -hmm. i completely appreciate and they're they're walking that walk and people can come along and and see how it's done and and what it takes and it's i appreciate that more than anything and that 
I think it's at a point with awareness that those companies can exist and excel and, and grow. Actually, maybe more than they want to. <laughs> you yeah. know, and that's we just need more of them. Um, yeah. Yeah, they still suffer the same headaches that we do and mm-hmm. long hours and challenges and stuff like that. It's just a different it's just a different business model. You know, it's what's interesting is the um, you know, the the kind of the pitfalls of the mass market appeal of native plants, if you if if you'll allow me to to, yeah. to elaborate yeah. a little bit. You know, a couple you know, going back five years ago, um, we started a little bit of a, an e commerce site. For, for mm-hmm. retail consumers, and, and and it was based on basically number one, just a lack of outlets for us to be able to turn people to when they would call us looking for for for, for native plants. And the one thing that I did find, which is why we kind of uh, catered to this at, at one point, number one is because I really had you know empathy for these consumers that were really trying to seek out these plants because they cared. Yeah. And the consumer that was seeking out these plants was very well educated, mm-hmm. you know, more educated than myself when it came to native plants many times, right? Um, really strong proponents for for the benefits of native plants and had a purpose for why they were looking for what they were looking for. Um, and, you know, with mass appeal comes kind of the mass consumer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with the mass consumer comes the challenges of retail. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And so you know, it went from a very knowledgeable based consumer that was looking for something like an evening primrose to somebody who, you know, just wanted to flood their homes with pretty pink flowers that are native. And that's a very different consumer group, you know, from a retail standpoint. And that's something that I've, you know, over the last three years for all the benefits of the mass market appeal of native plants, it is interesting to kind of see that dynamic take place and the change in the consumer. And it, these are all good things, yeah. but they, they just present different challenges. And for a nursery that is, um, you know, really more of a production type nursery, like all of ours, what these consumers don't understand is we're not set up we're not merchandised like a garden center would be mm-hmm. merchandised and so we have to grow plants based on where they culturally want to be grown and that may mean that you know this you know grouping of plants that you're interested in um they could be spread out all across you know all 50 acres of our farm they're, they're you know it's not a very shoppable type of experience yeah. it's hard for people to really wrap their minds around that and yeah. mm-hmm. when i say it i don't mean to offend anybody it comes across as though i don't care about them or uh, you know, don't wish for them to shop here because I'm just a, you know, a, a mean spirited owner, yeah. but it's really more of, we just, the place is not, it's just not shoppable. The way that we have to, you know, set up our yeah. growing production pads is just in no way, shape or form a, a good consumer experience. If and, that makes sense. and we I, talked I about that, yeah. the, I guess the last time we had kind of had an industry round table and then on numerous other times we've com- complained yeah. about it too but uh because similar to what you were saying matt is i started a an e-commerce business where i would just basically list our availability on a website and people would buy it and then i'd it all started just ups wise with small stuff and i'd ship it to them but yep. then there's demand for bigger stuff so i'd open up covid was actually opened up a lot because people got used to curbside pickup and I said, well, I'll just set up some pallets along my driveway and people can kind of pick up their orders whenever they want on weekends and I don't have to be there um, because retail wise, I didn't have the t- I didn't have the time to be there. I'm doing all this other stuff. And, uh, and even with that kind of keeping like the customer at arm's length, almost in a way, I didn't have enough time. 
um, to do both. And well, I'm I'm still doing both, but it's re- really with you're saying with a mass market appeal. I get so many emails, and literally th- that I don't have the time to respond to them all, and uh, and it, it sucks. And Jim, you said that there's people who are doing both wholesale and retail. They're not doing one well. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm not doing yeah, one well yeah. for sure, or as well as I would like to. Um, but it's gotten to a point. It's well, we either have to hire people and get a facility and expand, or we got to find a way to scale this back to just get the people who know what they want and and are passionate about it and are fine with that self service. Yeah. Really, and if you could, if so, you could have yeah. a, a walkable area, and again, when you pull in, you pull into a parking lot and greenhouses. You don't. Yeah. There's not an area where you can walk through and yeah. see everything. And at Pinelands Nursery, you go to the like if you go to one set of greenhouse you have eight greenhouses in a row or more that are one species yeah it's it you're not that's not what you get at and the garden we side. don't even have walk-in business because yeah. if you were to walk in and try to place an order it might take our guys an hour to assemble that order mm-hmm. and you know so everything's yeah. ordered in advance pulled in advance but you know you have items that are in in freshwater wet frames you have items that are in saltwater uh wet frames you have wetland plants you have upland plants you have so many different conditions you can't recreate all those in a walkable area and have the right amount that people would want to buy but i will share a secret that i don't know if i've ever shared online or even told you that neither of you knew it so even though we never officially sold retail when i started here there were a fair amount of retail customers Mm -hmm. in our system and if you called in and you knew what you wanted and you worked as if you were a wholesale customer we would sell to you like if you call up and said hey i need two flats of panicum brigade i might just have a quick question you know this and that we would sell to you but as matt you were saying as awareness grew and the thing grew, you couldn't you couldn't do it like mm-hmm. it, it got to a point where we had to draw the line it was probably like 10 years ago that we finally just said we're taking all of those customers out of the system you know and it's we we ask you to provide you know your business information that you're in the trade and because it's just it's a whole different even if you're a business not in the trade mm-hmm. it's basically you're a retail customer and talking right. about these retail businesses is i think we should probably share since we're all wholesale why don't we share some of the the retail businesses that we do work with in each of your areas that um that you want to promote a little bit just so that people don't take nothing away from this. <laughs> yeah, there's, there you go. Yeah, there's some there's, place there's that they can go that you like. There's plenty of great yeah. nurseries doing this that we should promote to make sure mm-hmm. that people find the plants that they're looking so, for. Matt, what are what are a couple that you know off the top of your head? Sure, and and, and the nice thing to to be able to report and to be able to, able to say is, you know, I, I think like five years ago, I probably would have you know drawn a blank um, here. And I think that the nice thing is that you know this year in, in particular, we picked up a couple retail garden centers and. You know what a blessing you know it really is to be able to direct people to to some of these these other companies so you know more recently uh bayport flower house in bayport uh, has started you know stocking up on native plants and um, decker's nursery is another one in Greenlawn, new york and they've got a very good you know strong following uh, of native plant supporters um there's a couple other uh smaller places kms native plants give, give her a shout out anthony marinello who owns drop seed mm-hmm. natives um, uh, and, and, and I, and I also have to give a shout out to some of the organizations that we work with because they are really stepping up to the plate when it comes to organizing these, uh, native garden events. And mm-hmm. so organizations like rewild that, uh, yeah. you guys had mentioned earlier, um, you know, you're, you know, season in and season out. So spring and fall, they do a native plant sale. 
So it should really give give those guys credit. Northport Garden Club. I was just going to mention that one actually. Yeah, Northport Garden Club on Long Island. So we're we're starting to see, um, you know, we're starting to see some pretty significant, you know, retail, you know, traffic and in a you know, at least an outlet for for us to be able to direct people to. And one more I'll say is, you know, the Peconic River Herb Farm. I don't know if you guys deal with them at all, either, either one of your companies, but. Um, they're based out of Calverton, New York, and just from an experience standpoint, they, they cater to a, a lot of native plants, and the experience is great. I mean, their grounds awesome. are wonderful. Um, they're right on the Peconic River, and so it's a really good consumer experience. It's what, if I was doing the retail thing, it's it, it's the type of experience that I would like to provide uh, to my to my target you know, mm-hmm. demographic, for sure. Awesome. Awesome. How about you, Jim? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, I, I would probably say go to our website because I, okay. I don't even, I mean, like, expense, especially the nonprofits, it's a pretty extensive list and it spans several states. So it's, I mean, the, in our immediate areas and stuff like that, some people that we deal with, uh, there's um, Redbud Native Plant Nursery mm-hmm. and Media, there's Yellow Springs Farm, uh, there's um, um, edge of the woods up in the Allentown area down in DC. There's nature by design up in the New England area. There's the not you know the Native Trust formerly the New England yeah. Wildfire Society, um, and there's a host of others. So I, I I don't you know we have great relationships with all of them, but those are a few that are in our immediate area. Awesome. Um, but there's there it's a growing list, and 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 I think you're going to see more and more. And I think the e-commerce thing is definitely coming. And I didn't. And the other thing, Tommy, just to say is it is challenging. I think the thing I want to point out is what you're experiencing is a challenge of success, not failure. Oh, yeah. Which is, yeah. <laughs> again, it bodes well for the industry. It shows that the demand is out there. The question is, is do you want to do it and how do you want to manage it? That's, yep. you know, that's really yep. it. It's there. And do you want to do it or not? We deal with several e-commerce nursery people mm-hmm. right now. It's all internet based um, and they're doing extremely well, specifically the, the natives. There's like Izel, mm-hmm. uh, Izel or Izel? Izel. Yeah. I was actually going to mention those. Yep. Uh, yep. Izel, you got uh, Get Blooming over here now uh, is another one. And um, New Jersey, um, gosh darn it. Oh. Yeah, I'm drawing a blank. Anyhow, uh, that's, that's right, what yeah. happens at my age. Um, so anyhow, lot, there's lots of the good, and there's a lot more on our website that I'm not mentioning. Awesome. I got to give, I gotta give a shout out to two more organizations, yes. if that's okay, because I would be really upset if I didn't. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> since I'm sitting here, thinking. one is uh, Save the Great South Bay. Okay. Because mm-hmm. you guys are doing a tremendous amount of work, and they actually have a website e-commerce element where they sell plants through. And, um, you know, the, the, that board uh, does a phenomenal job of, public awareness and the other one is um native landscapes nursery up in Pauling, new york i don't know if okay. you guys deal with any of them but uh yeah. pete runs a great operation up there as well mm-hmm. for for those for those of our you know customers that are up in the westchester awesome. area that's a very awesome. unique setting up yeah. there too so we we have uh in new jersey we have a few uh jared and Catherine at wild ridge plants mm-hmm. uh great people uh very passionate about what they do uh, and, and and provide a lot of great information mm-hmm. uh shade. Uh, nursery it's earth first earth first yeah that's down near cape may yeah um oh and i think the one jim you might have even been thinking about was uh the pollination which is affiliated with new moon nursery but that's online uh as well they're 
basically doing what Pinewood's Rec was doing, taking plants from New Moon and yeah. breaking them up into smaller amounts so that homeowners can get them. Tom um, does Pinelands Direct, mm-hmm. so that's the, the the company that Tom and, owns. Uh, there's a what's it? Summer Sweet Native Plants is yeah. down in Cape May area again. Yeah. Um, there's one in there's Cream Ridge. Thank you. That's that's the one I was searching for. Summer. Summer. Okay, yeah. Summer Sweet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, what's the one in, in in Cream Ridge? Do you remember? I'm no. gonna have to look it up because no. I feel bad. I can't. It's it. That, is it Good Earth. Nursery? Good Earth Nursery, yeah. yes, thank you. So I drove by there yesterday. And there you so. go. So, and it, it's nice to see. I think if we were to have yeah. done this podcast, like like Matt said, five years ago, I don't know that we would have gotten a list like that. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of great, uh, I think Wild Roots, New Jersey, too, is mm-hmm. more of a, a blog, but they will source material from where they can get it so people can buy it and, and make it available for pickup if, if you want. So there's there's a lot of organizations that are, are taking charge and trying to mm-hmm. put plant material in the hands of people that want that plant yeah, material definitely, so definitely. but i want to kind of get back on track we kind of got <laughs> we, <Yeah>. we kind of <laughs> yeah. veered away you know i'm ready to veer away again uh, all right so well, you go. veering away the, 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 the non-industry <laughs> people the retail people are going to love that so, <laughs> so one of the hardest things for for me having come to this nursery from other nurseries when 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 you're in a a traditional wholesale nursery there's renewable business you're dealing with with wholesale yards or you're dealing with garden centers that know they take x amount of material every year they'll place that order in advance our industry is a little bit different it's there's not a whole lot of renewable business so what are are some of the the reason why you choose the amount of how many plants you grow and of what plant and what are some of your limitations to producing that inventory uh matt you want to go first on that one Sure. So, so our forecasting methods. Yeah. So our forecasting. So, you know, like you said, it's very, it's it's challenging. Um, you know that you're going to take some risks out there, like we always do. Um, but again, I'm kind of used to this speculation. You know, just based on running the wholesale yard, and you kind of have, well, you you know you're going to rely upon some type of past history, and so you know kind of what you've been what you've been selling for the last couple of years. Yeah, there's always going to be a little bit of a uh, increase in some of the items that you think there's going to, you know, where there's more popularity, I guess, yeah. is driving your demand. Hmm. Um, you know, I'd like to sit here and tell you that, you know, we're just monitoring project after project and, you know, we're able to build a forecast model based on, you know, the public works jobs that we see for the next 18 to 24 months. But, you know, who has honestly the time for that or the resources to really, um, to really mine that that level of, of data, but we do we do look at those jobs, and it's important for us to just look at them with an eye towards what are uh, architects or or environmental um, uh, engineers. What are they What are they specifying? Um, and, and what projects do we see? What are the big ones that are coming down the pike? Sometimes you know I look at it uh, in a way that you know from a I guess from a business minded standpoint I, I, I look at those projects and say well I may not get this project but I know that there's going to be 5,000 less uh, less groundsel bush in the marketplace based on this project taking place right mm-hmm. so if that means that we're going to you know speculate on something and we have greenhouse space to fill I may say okay well this is a good item to speculate on because it gives you yourself the opportunity number one to sell it onto that project if, it, if you know if you're you know, if your supply chain or if your customer channel is is, is awarded that contract, um, or you know, at least you know that there's going to be less of that plant out there, so that when the next project comes along that requires that same plant, 
all right, well, now I know that there's going to be an opportunity to, to sell it for the next project. Yeah. I mean, that's that's how we're looking at it for the most part. Um, you know, custom contract grows are always, you know, a home run, right? I mean, yeah. I think that would be the preferred method of business for all of us. It eliminates waste in the system. <laughs> we know how many to do. I mean, we all, you know, everybody in, on this panel, you know, it, you know, we all give high fives when we know there's something that we can confidently grow yeah. and we know there's a home for them, right? That's, that's what we... That's what we, that's what we prepare yeah. for. Um, but you know, everything else, there's going to be a little bit of speculation. So we try, and, and we learn some things the hard way. We, you know, sometimes there's just groups of plants or, or groups of, uh, of, you know, there's species that we can't propagate well. Hmm. And you know, sometimes we, uh, we learn the hard way on those. Yeah, it's you know, it's it's funny. There's a couple things I, I was furiously writing notes while while you were saying that because there were <laughs> a few things I wanted to that's touch a, on. That's a, that's a topic that I could spend probably the whole yeah. podcast because you yeah. know it's, yeah. nobody has a crystal ball, and so trying no. to figure out what the you know what the right species, quantity, size when you pair all there, those variables together. Yeah, I mean, there's infinite. You you know with with contract grow the one thing that that. I give Tom like all the credit really when Tom came in and started analyzing some of the projects that we've supplied over the past, we realized that we kind of had to – we love a contract grow if it, it fits who we are and what we do. Um, and you know what we were having problems with were say you had a job where they wanted 50,000 Spartina alternate flora, which we grow in two-inch plugs, but they wanted them in courts. You do that and then the job gets postponed for two years. And then you don't have a market for those plants because you contract grow them. Then the plants aren't viable, and they're taking up valuable space that because it's a it's a custom environment that they have to be grown in. So you start looking at some of these things, saying, "Man, it's great," but some of these it, it has to be. You know, we've kind of limited to it has to be something that we already grow in a size that we already grow it. So mm -hmm. if we're just talking quantities, or if it's if we know it's like a quick turnaround, like a like we need these quarts and it's a large amount and we're going to take them in three months, you know, mm -hmm. and then you have time to do it. So it just, you kind of have to look at it through different glasses because so many times you really want that job and you realize mm, maybe, <laughs> you know, maybe it wasn't the, the best decision, but yeah. um, I, it's, I'll, I'll expand on yeah. what Fran was saying the other day. And cause, and it's funny cause I just went to Costco for like the first time in, years yesterday i'm not a costco shopper but costco is like a great model for how to carry products um and everyone who is a costco shopper probably gets frustrated because the store is always different every time you go and that's on purpose so you have to find everything as a treasure hunt every time you go but they do a really good job of cutting skews every qu month quarter i forget how they break it down and they just trim off anything that's like underperforming they stop selling it and, um, and that's why if you went to Costco and you're getting something and you really liked it, well, it means a lot of other people didn't buy it if they aren't carrying it anymore. Uh, and they're constantly rotating new stuff in. And it's every once in a while they find something, oh, wow, we sold a lot of this and we're going to keep selling a lot of it. So we're going to keep that one on. And whatever rotated in and if it's underperforming, they just keep cutting off what they aren't selling. And that was kind of the model that yeah. that I was looking at when, we, when I started here was – Man, there's if we aren't selling more than X dollars of this plant, why are we even growing it? Yeah. And um, we could use that space to grow something that we could sell instead of something that we aren't selling. So that was the whole whole design, which but, isn't necessarily the the mindset 
that goes into a production plan sometimes no. because no. you're like, we can grow this. We know we can grow it and we have yeah. the seed and we have X amount of space to fill up. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 a better way of looking how yeah. to maximize that space. But yeah. the, the other thing I was going to mention is, and I don't know if the two of you feel the same way, I, I feel with job timing, it's very – it's become very cyclical. Um, when I started here, it seems like we didn't have enough time to grow the plant material for the job. We weren't given enough notice. So you either needed to have it on stock or have it in stock or, or you lost that job or it had to be coming on soon enough for that job. Then I saw it shift to where you had two years <laughs> to plan and get ready for that job. Uh, but you know, you knew the bids were out there. You may have 10 or 15 customers bidding the same job and you would see it and you knew the time frame. Now I don't even see the bids. The customers are just calling saying, I got this job, mm-hmm. you know, and it's – that wasn't the case 10, 15 years ago. It was just – I didn't even see it go to bid. I didn't even know this one was out, and it's like, oh, well, I have it. You know, what What can you do? So I'm seeing it go back to like not enough – you know, you have to have it or it's a very short time frame to get it ready or you're not getting that. And that's one of the ones where Matt said I think you plan out like someone got this job and someone's selling all of this. So some – you know – that should help move ours because mm-hmm. there's going to be yeah. less of it in the in the industry. So, Jim, how about you? What? I hope I didn't take all your answers. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I think the biggest thing to me is that you're talking a herbaceous contract or a woody contract. You know that you can yeah. turn a herbaceous contract in a matter of months. Um, you know, woodies you need more time. So that's sort of a defining thing that's different from us. Um, and we are fortunate to have contract grows, and we've been involved in some of those for many, many years. But um, they don't by any means represent the bulk of our sales. I mean, you know, you're lucky if you hit 20% of your sales one year, it might be under contract. The rest of it's all, you know, the crystal ball. And, you know, I sometimes equate myself to a craps roller in the back of a dark alley, you know, with a brick wall in front of me because that's, uh, you know, it's basically what Matt said. It's history. It's history. It's looking what you know. It's looking what your customers are asking for and stuff. But to your point, Fran, yeah, I mean, you know, in some ways I uh, disconnected ourselves from that bid process by posting everything online. Our availability is there. It's very easy access. It's like people don't even have to go anymore to to communicate with what they're bidding on anymore, and therefore you don't see it. So it saves a lot of time and energy for both me as the owner and responding to bids, but it saves a lot of time and energy for the customers. It's so easy. They can look at that website 24-7. doesn't matter whether they're working the weekend or not. But it does remove yourself from the days of old where people were sending you their faxes and and you saw all the bids coming across your desk. I, I rarely see them anymore. I, so, I, I don't I see them I support what you're saying there. Um, and, you know, the thing is, is, um, you know, I think we're all pretty fortunate in this industry right now is we're generally all selling what we can grow. Mm-hmm. Um, and that hasn't always been the case. And uh, that's a little bit to something other that I'll bring up later here about the whole business in the industry. But, you know, you can you can speculate and probably sell it right now. I mean, yes, do we get a little long on things? Everybody does. It's hard not to. But one of the things that we're going to be doing is kind of looking beyond is right now is I, I'm sure you guys are seeing it. We're certainly seeing it both within the uh, wholesale professional environmental restoration conservation movement, but also with regard to more of that retail segment. Uh, People want to see more diversity. Uh, they're requesting different species, things that we may have not grown in the past. Um, 
And I think that's also just awareness of the, to Matt's point earlier about the um, education of the consumer. Uh, they're uh, becoming much more aware of, you know, thinking in terms of not just plants, but ecology of their backyard or their project. And so therefore they're looking at that sort of diversity and that's, that's all well and good because we're all believers of diversity, but it does then force us to start looking at, okay, well, what are we growing and what not? And I'd rather not speculate on that. So we'll be doing a customer survey here in about a month and we're going to go to that very target audience. So we're going to say, rather than us speculate and guess what you guys want, why don't you tell us what you're having a hard time finding? And then that might you know, give us a little blueprint for the next three to five years if there's some crossover of species and you get that data mining in there and stuff. So that's sort of how we're trying to address some of the speculation, but there will always be an element of speculation. Yeah, and I, I think when you get asked to do something that you typically don't do, it's a form of flattery because let's face it, we all have uh, the same customer base. We're all, we're all selling to the, the same customers they all know who we are we all know who who they are so when they're asking you to grow something that maybe they know one of us grow and and you don't grow it's because they have a better relationship with you they're like i like dealing with you and i'd rather mm -hmm. try to get everything from you and it's tough because it's a great form of flattery but it doesn't always work either it doesn't always make sense like even though you'd love to be able to provide everything for someone Sometimes it's not feasible. I know I refer people to both of both of you all the time saying, I think they're going to yeah. be a better fit for you. Same way. Uh, yeah. yeah. So it's um, – I think the thing is, is the other thing that's hard for people to understand is, is you have X amount of space, you have X amount of time, you have X amount of labor, you have X amount of dollars. And, you know, unless you start to see consistent demand, we all – this is a product that has to be turned the only way. If you're sitting on these plants, then they become a problem. You can't, you know, root circling, whatever it is, you know, you've got to be able to move this crop. So while there are things that I would love to grow and, you know, sometimes we get small requests for, very hard to put those small things into a production scale model. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's hard when you see limited uh, requests for certain species. Yeah, and some things don't exist because they're just difficult, you know, and, and sometimes you don't know until you try. You know, we, we just um, – you know, seven gallons for us is is newer. We've been doing it for just a few years, and and you start thinking, oh man, if we grew pawpaw in seven gallons, we could sell them all day long. Well, then you grow them, and after a year, you have roots two feet out the bottom of the <laughs> pot, and the plants a foot and a half tall. You know, and it's exactly. you know, it's and it's like rooters. yeah. So you're like, ah, this isn't really feasible. Maybe that's why they're you don't see them on the market the way you know you get requests, and maybe that's why you don't see them. So it's it's trial and error. It's it's a lot of different things, and it's. You, as you mentioned, you only have so much time, you only have so much space, and you want to hit a home run. You, you know, that's mm -hmm. what's important for for the businesses or all the people that are working for you that that you provide a good living. So you you want to have a good year, so everyone has a good year, and it's it's a tough balancing act. I don't I don't envy any of your positions. I don't I worry about that, but technically <laughs> I don't have to worry about it. But I, I worry about it, you know. So it's it, it's hard. It's hard. And, you know, in some years you hit a home – some years you hit that home run where you're like, wow, we didn't really have that one item we were super long on. And some years you have five items that you're super long on in large quantities, and you're like, what do we do with this? You know, when, when you make that, that guess and you're wrong, it's, it's not that you can just move on. You're taking a loss. Mm -hmm. You know, hopefully you can find a, a home for it and, and someone can use it. And But it's – uh, you know, I've made those mistakes. I've made those mistakes more than once. You know, I'll make that mistake again because I I don't have the crystal ball. But 
I'm just saying that so Tom doesn't fire me. No, I do think you know. I do think that um, you know we is a you know it's a balancing act between trying to have enough you know diversification in what you do. You know, even from a species standpoint, yeah. because you know, at, from a from, just from a from a I say plant, like from a manufacturing plant standpoint, right? It would be easiest to run the factory and produce three different items. And, and there were a lot of growers that do that, you know, and they're, and they're very specialized, um, you know, but I do find that, you know, our, you know, our, our audience does expect us to have, you know, some level of, of diversity. And that doesn't mean that you're going to go crazy. So like when we do speculate, especially if it's something new that we haven't tried before, you're going to do it, you know, with, you know, with caution, right. And you're going to make sure that you, you move the ones that you speculate on uh, before you before you go out and you know double that quantity or or pretend that there's just going to be this you know huge awakening for this one plant that you never sold before but all of a sudden you know it's going to be your saving grace um, you know but so I, I guess my point there is that you know there's a fine line with making sure that your you know audience is um, you know being catered to with, with regards to not just being so so regimen that. You know, all we all we all we're producing is is little blue stem. That's it. You know, because that's yeah. you know that's the number one seller for us on, on on you know for for our grasses. You know, you need a little bit. You need you need to be able to, I guess, let your customers know that you have the capability of growing more than just yeah. one thing. I guess for for our target base, I would say that's important. Because that's not sustainable. You have the year where no one specs any little blue stem, and all of a sudden you have right. no business that year. You know, but it's. I think regardless of relationship, regardless of price, regardless of quantity, sometimes you win a job strictly because you can supply the whole job, you know, because you have that diversity. And sometimes that's the winning formula for for getting some of the jobs. And it's Mm -hmm. it's not that way across the board. You have so many different things. And that's what makes it difficult and challenging and fun. It's frustrating and fun at the same time. And I think for us, that's why we specialize more in smaller sizes because you have the, the plus of a quick turnaround um, and you can change gears. Uh, I meet the, So the production plan is set by myself, our production manager and our propagator, and we meet three times a month and, ch- and constantly update that plan because you can, because you're doing small sizes. The downside is if you're wrong, those shelf life is short. <laughs> so you're, you're kinda, you, you need to try to get it right the first time, um, but that's the good that, news is you didn't have seven years into it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's the challenge that I I'm familiar with and that's a difficult challenge. I was at Princeton Nurseries for almost nine years and it wasn't until the end of my time there that I finally hit a production plan that I had input on. You know, it took because it, it was a seven year production plan. So it was right before I left that I finally saw a production plan. I'm like, Oh yeah, I I, I was a part of this one. It before that I was dealing with all the plans of everyone who had preceded me and it was and that's a difficult thing to walk into as well because you know you had no control over that and the market market changes you know it, it just changes and that's 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 really difficult and um, i heard like five years after you left like five years consistently all the sales guys hit their sales quota due to your production plan i hope you got a piece of that action over there actually they closed two years later i will say that just about every nursery that i've worked for prior to pinelands nursery has gone out of business so that's not yeah. 
uh, a track record. I'm, I'm proud. <laughs> <laughs> At least I could say they went out of business after I left. Maybe that's maybe that's the way I should look at it. It was it was Actually, my uh, leaving. Fran, if you don't mind, that's a. It's in one of your questions. It's a little bit of a segue. Um, you say, "What do you think?" You know, a lot of the general public misconception, or what? Mm-hmm. What, what do you want us, them to know about our industry? Yeah, I'm going to jump on that because you just hit on it. Uh, this industry is struggling uh, across this country. It is in a it is in a contraction mode, and I don't think a lot of people even see that or understand it. They can go out to, you know, whether that's the box stores or whatever, they can still find that they want, but. Uh, this industry struggling, and there's a um, there's an article in the Washington Post um, that's just only like about two weeks ago that talks about the struggles of the horticultural industry, and um, I'll see if I can uh, find what date that was put out there. But um, the um, it is a I've been involved with the Landscaping Nursery Association of Pennsylvania for a better part of 25 more years, and every grower that I started with on the board or in any part of that organization is gone. And there's only one of those that has a generational shift that's into its second and maybe going to its third generation. Um, all the other ones are gone. The knowledge base is gone. The production space is gone. So I think it was Chris Eulen at Harmony Hills told me the mm-hmm. other day that um, something like 2,000 production acres of horticultural crops are gone in southeast Pennsylvania alone. Um, you look at the things then that happened with the severe frosts and cold temperatures that hit Texas and devastated their entire industry. Labor is a huge problem. The, the bots aren't here to do our jobs. It's still a very labor-intensive industry. You throw national and immigration issues on top of this, and you couple that with just the fact that it's not a very well-promoted industry with our young people and stuff like that. I seriously, I've been involved with this a long time. I have serious concerns about who's going to grow these plants in 20 years and where people are going to find these plants. Um, I think that that's a very big disconnect, and I don't think many people know about it. That's why I appreciated that um, Washington Post article. It was forwarded from uh, our director, uh, former director at the Landscape and Nursery Association. So I would say that is one thing that uh, is out there that people are not aware of. You know, and I, I think we may have touched on some of these things in the last um, rooted discussion where we talked about native plant businesses. But um, when I started in the industry in 1989, we were still selling two-inch caliper trees for less than that when I left the B&B industry in 2006. Um, and that comes down to value, what the what the end user's value and perception of what that's worth. and. And it's not that the cost hadn't gone up. The cost had gone up exponentially to produce that tree, but the value wasn't there. Um, And a lot of marketing, uh, a lot of people have done a lot lot of marketing to show the value. I think with native plants, people now Mm -hmm. being aware and wanting it and seeing the value of what that plant does, not that it just looks pretty, but the pollinators that it brings, the wildlife that it feeds, the the family it can feed, the all the different aspects of air quality, water quality, they now are starting to see a value that can hopefully turn that perception around um, to help it, at least on our end. That doesn't help everyone on their end. And, you know, a lot of nurseries do a lot of uh, marketing and um, cultivars and, mm-hmm. and research to find that plant that can prove that value. And it's, it's ever changing. I think that's been good and bad for the industry as well when some miss and it gives everyone's a bad taste and every year there's another new plant that they're trying to Connor Pyle was basically 
Um, Star Roses was founded on the thing that people love roses. They love the same rose, but they're short-lived. So if they keep dying, they'll keep coming back and buy that rose over and over and over again. Eventually, at some point, you you get burned enough that you're like, I like it, but I don't like it enough to keep buying it. Um, I, I think there's land value where where sometimes you're in an area that becomes so so built up that that land is more valuable as an asset than it is as a, as a nursery. I think mental value, Jim, you know, Glenn and I, our propagator, had this conversation that we're losing that generation of employee that passes down the mental knowledge of what has happened and why at the nursery for years. There's a, Couldn't that, agree more. That, that generation is – you know, I had a tendency – or I don't want to say tendency. I had the luxury of having a lot of great people pass on a lot of great knowledge. They carried me on their back and, and handed down a lot of wonderful knowledge that hopefully doesn't die with me. Um, but that generation now, it just seems like – and those were people that maybe weren't college educated. They started on the farm as a kid, worked their way through uh, mistakes and errors, uh, trial and error. You know, It's just I kind of feel like there's, there's a gap. There's a gap that I'm afraid that that information is going to get lost and that information is important for all of us to continue doing what we do. Um, Matt, I, I don't know how you feel about that. I don't know if I hit any points I mean, I think, that. No, you, I think uh, I couldn't agree more. Um, if you look at some of our recent hires over the last five years, um, it's it's kind of interesting if you looked at it. Um, and, and what I mean by that is purposely looking for the generation, um, you know, some of the, the newest hires that I have have started in, the, you know, what would generally be considered the twilight of their career, yeah. specifically because they have that knowledge. Um, so I, you know, these are guys that I've known from other farms, some of the best growers, you know, around that I have access to that, you know, have kind of gone into semi-retirement and I've brought them back out because like you said, there's a, there's a gap there. Uh, there's a huge generational gap. And what I find myself doing, uh, you know, right now is, you know, probably the, the best example that I can, that I can share with you illustrates this is, you know, we just recently hired a, a soil scientist out of UMass last year. Um, great young uh, young man. His name is Eric Vigetto. And, you know, I'm I'm pairing individuals like that with a ton of potential with the older generation, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. to mentor them, uh, you know, just like they were mentoring me um, because there's so much anecdotal information that goes into this industry. And it's important that, you know, that that next generation, um, you know, learn. And, and just like I've been fortunate to learn from some of the mentors, um, you know, I'm in a pretty... Uh, agriculturally friendly area out here in Eastport, New York. Um, you know, I've got farms kind of surrounding my farms, and most of them are in nursery stock, to be honest. And I, you know, was just fortunate that when I got in, you know, 12 years ago, these guys were still uh, willing, capable, and, and I think that's one thing that you find about our industry in general is, uh, you know, even you know with, with everybody you have on this call today is, you know, this industry. What I was introduced to when I came into it was just the wealth of information and, and, and just the camaraderie of, of people willing to share that information with you, um, you know, and that's what I've always appreciated, you know, with, with talking to guys like yourselves, quite, yeah. you know, quite yeah. frankly. And it's it's without that, I, I would be lost because it just takes uh, there's so many lessons. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and with that, I think there has to be a certain amount of trust too for a, a lot of these guys that that information is their livelihood, um, and that's what that's their job security <laughs> because they figured this out throughout the years, and that's what makes them valuable. I'm probably of I just had this conversation with someone here at the office the other day. Probably of the last generation that probably like can be in the position where I'm at without having had a college education in our industry. It's changed over the years since I started 32 years ago. Um, you know, so it's, I, I learned a lot of those guys and it took trust because I was a new guy coming in and, and they had to trust that, you know, I wasn't going to sell them out or try to take their job <laughs> or, or did, that was just security. So there's a lot of knowledge locked up there just out of uh, being scared, I I, I want to say like knowing that hey if if I give all this up you you don't need me anymore, um, and that's that's a difficult thing too you know and it's you can find some of this knowledge on the internet I mean business has changed, but you're not finding all the knowledge and you're not finding all the right knowledge um, and some things you just have to have a conversation and 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 to some people that's not what business is uh, anymore the the art of conversation is I think becoming more and more scarce and. And listen, it's tough for me. I'm you. You may disagree with me a hundred percent, but I'm an introvert. <laughs> if I know you, I'll talk your ear off. But normally, I don't <laughs> want to talk to anybody. So um, you know, it's it's having that conversation and and, and getting into being a team and and kind of working that out. So I love that you're pairing people together like that to to kind of bridge that gap because I, I definitely think there's there's it's a lot. Based, you know, it's need based. You know, for the most part, um, you know. And, 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 the, and the truth of the matter is it's it's a really it, it's a good working relationship for both for all parties, you know, including myself. I'll throw myself in there as well, because there's things that, you know, there's listen, it's good to get um, some new, um, you know, some new blood and some new science introduced into some of the practices that we have. And it's also good to, you know, for 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 some of these young guns that come into the industry to understand you know, why things were done previously and, and, and just alternative methods that worked, you know, that for whatever the reasons are. So, I mean, I think that, I think that pairing for us, it works. Um, you know, would it be great to have one person that's, you know, an, an expert in that area and they don't need the help? Sure, I guess, but there's no, you know, there's, there's no one person on any farm that can do you know, all the different tasks that we all have to get done. So as long as you get the right people involved, it all comes down to people, right? Just yeah. like every business. You have to look at it both ways. Like you, 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 it's good to have that person to question why it's always been done this way, but you need that person with the knowledge to at least explain why it's been done that way and, and come to maybe a way to make it better, you know, and it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it, you know, it's challenging. I'm sorry. No, sorry. that's okay. I, I was just going to say, you know, I think the thing is, is a, it's unique. I, and we're actually in the very same situation, Matt. We were very fortunate to just hire two young people that are, I'm just calling them the next gen. Um, but my point is there's not enough next gen out there no. to take the knowledge that Fran's talking about, to take that stuff. Because, you know, those gentlemen, they're semi-retired now. How much longer are they going to want to do this? And that's the thing is there is a gap of knowledge base that is growing by the year, mm -hmm. uh, every year that people don't enter this industry. And there's people that are trying to change that. There's Seed Our Future. There's all that sort of stuff. But, I mean, how many horticulture programs have disappeared from uh, community colleges, four-year colleges? They're, they're disappearing like crazy. Um, so 
it's a lifestyle that is not being well promoted to people. I'm all about STEM and that's great, but let's face it, not everybody wants to pursue STEM. They, you know, they have other things that they could be doing. So that's the way we need to sort of tap into that. But um, yeah, I think we're, we're kind of rare that we have that right now. It's hard to find those people right now, Matt, you're lucky to have discord a couple. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in, in, you know, I, I, you know, you go through a pandemic like we just went through or we're still going through, right? Um, and you think about, you know, this industry in general, you're able to spend time outdoors, right? And, you know, not being inside open air situations. I thought that we were going to actually see more of an influx based mm-hmm. on some of these things. And I'm actually surprised that it was such a, sh- you know, that we can, t- I mean, I guess I'm not surprised at this point. But, you know, I was a little bit discouraged, you know, that we didn't have what I thought would have been as much of a, you know, an influx of potential job candidates, um, you know, given given the circumstances. You may see it three years down the road. Yeah. And (laughs) I'll even add to it because we we made some recent hires, too, and we saw a ton of applications, but there was very few, I guess, qualified applicants, I guess, the the way I'd put it. and we were really lucky to find three that just like, or actually four that just fit exactly what we were we looking were, for. We were lucky. The kind of, yeah, we, we were, were really, really lucky. But when it came down to it, it was like, okay, well, we're not trying to hire for this position. And this person fits like two thirds of it. This person fits a third of it. But there's a lot of people who wanted to work at a nursery, but they didn't fulfill the requirements that we needed for those positions. Yeah. Um, I think it's easy to find people who want to, who want to work at a nursery in theory. And this is what we talked about the first time too. That, you, yeah. you know, they have the mental image of like butterflies flying around them and it's a beautiful day and, and you're in the greenhouse, yeah. water a couple of plants. Yeah. You're leisurely like touching some plants and pretty, you know, but it's, it's, you're, you're pushing a lot of work into a small period of time mm-hmm. through all weather conditions. And it's, it's not always pleasant, yeah. you know, you appreciate it, but it's, it's hard, you know, and that's why, that's why you were told not to get into this industry <laughs> <laughs> by, by someone that, that, uh, that cared about you. Mm-hmm. So it's, so I know we're, we're already over an hour and a half and, yeah. and we should probably start to yeah. work towards wrapping up. I it's, have a couple hard hitting questions that I don't think will take very long. Okay. So I'm going to move moving to them. One of them was, um, and we'll, like I said, we'll try and keep this part short, but one of the questions that I get all the time is, uh, stuff with like pest and disease control. Do you guys do anything special? What are some ways, obviously working with natives, the, the insects are our friends. What are some things you guys are doing to try and change or, or deviate from the, the horticultural norm of dealing with, with insects and disease? And I'll, I'll, I'll start uh, off just by saying that's a tough one. Cause if, oh, if yeah. we didn't spray <laughs> yeah. anything, we wouldn't be in business. Yeah. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the overall answer is we try to do as little as possible, Tom, mm-hmm. because our customers are trying to avoid these sprays and they don't want us to be using certain chemicals and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, you can do a lot in terms of preventing certain unwanted pests just with, you know, benign horticultural oils if they're applied at the right time. And, you know, you're doing your scouting and things like that, watching your weather days and integrated pest management stuff. But um, literally, I have a pretty simple philosophy. If it's not going to kill the plant, I'm probably not spraying for it. I mean, mm-hmm. the Japanese beetles just went through, and they were pretty serious this year. We don't spray for them. We don't treat them. We mm-hmm. don't trap them. You know, you got to use seven and, you know, other things. It's like, 
they hit like six species. They gnaw on them for about three weeks or four weeks. And then, you know, the plants look cosmetically compromised. There's no question. Mm -hmm. They do. But you know what? That's about communication with your customer. It's like, listen, you, you don't want me to be spraying these things. So you, the side effect and the result of that is you're going to have some skeletalized leaves coming to you on your next delivery. But trust me, when you see the next set flushing out, there's no harm to this plant. So it's an educational process that you have to have with the communication with your customers on that sort of stuff. We get 10 caterpillars. We might just grab the whole thing with our hands, throw on the ground and stomp on them. Um, <laughs> yeah. But you do have to like fungicides are all but you know critical for certain species or else they'll really devastate your crops so mm -hmm. but we do stay away from the neonics the spotted lantern fly of course is the big topic for us then around this area but honestly um they're not they're they're not really on our plants our plants are too small if they're on our plants at all they're just stopping over because they're just really poor flyers and they need a break for a second and then they're off they're in the woods around mm -hmm. us we did some systemic treatments of a couple of trap trees last year but we're kind of like watched it going, you know what, what are we doing? We're maybe hitting a couple thousand plants in, a, in an infestation of hundreds of thousands yeah. of millions of bugs. What is a couple of trees going to matter here? So we're not, we, we just try to take a pretty soft approach to it. And our greenhouse, our true greenhouse space, where you're looking at that, you have to have so much X amount of environment in a greenhouse before mm -hmm. you can start introducing beneficials. And if you don't have enough of an infestation, you can't really even use the beneficials in some cases. Yeah. So yep. it's it's a balancing act, but we try to go as minimalist as we possibly can. Mm -hmm. That's the short answer. How about you, Matt? Yeah, so you know, this is obviously a really you know hot topic yeah. for our industry, and not just for our industry, but for agriculture in general. Um, and I would say here on Long Island, it's a really, really hot topic. I think we're probably kind of like the canary in the coal mine as it relates to you know, pesticide use and what's going to be approved or what's going to be outlawed, um, you know, mostly because we're in a sole source an aquifer as well here mm -hmm. on Long Island. So there's a lot of things that go into, um, you know, the regulations by BEC for what we can or cannot use. So, you know, part of the reason that we hired, you know, I kind of mentioned before we had hired a soil scientist out of UMass and part of his job description is getting us to more biotype of controls. And so this year in particular was really the first year that we started experimenting with a lot more biocontrols. Now, uh, I'm not gonna say that everything that we do is, is biocontrolled, but we have you know, eliminated neonics 100%. We now are using, and it, it's funny that Jim just mentioned it, because we, you know, we, these are the topics that, you know, these are the things that we talk about now during our production meetings, which are once a week, which is, okay, you know, we just released, you know, couple you know thousand uh, you know lady beetles for example and we know that the populations for them to prey upon are are good in these greenhouses and then the, you know the, the next step after that is making sure that there's going to be a you know another uh you know crop of aphids you know another hatch of aphids for them to continue to keep their numbers up and so we have these kind of conversations about you know where to release and where you know where we're scouting and where we see the beneficials and you know you know, we want to invest in these areas and we're trying to maintain these populations. So I've never talked about it as much as I've talked about it within the last six months mm -hmm. um, and for all the right reasons. Yeah. But we started using, you know, two two basic companies, um, Arbico Organics and another company called BioWorks. And so we're, we're, we're we use both of those guys, um, you know, no plug, they're not a sponsor or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But that's where we're getting this stuff from. Uh, we, we've even on our fungicides, you know, we're using, um, you know, bene, you know, beneficial uh, bio fungicides, you mm -hmm. know, at this point to control things, 
Um, you know, like you know, powdery mildew is the biggest culprit, and anybody who's grown straight species Cornish Florida, you know, struggles with that. It's just, it's a challenging tree to say the least. Um, but so that's you know that's what we've been doing to kind of update our practices and make sure that we're, like Jim said, we don't want to use any of these chemicals. We don't want to use any product in general. Mm -hmm. I mean, these these products are expensive. If yeah. you know, if we could eliminate that from our, you know, from our from our cost base, we certainly would. And and and, and we're. And we try to do things culturally to make sure that we're minimizing our use of any product. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's that it, it, it's an ongoing learning curve for us. And you know, these are some of the differences. These are some of the changes that we've been able to implement over the last couple, um, you know, months or you know, last couple seasons. And we're still trying to evaluate, you know, what what the right approach is. But certainly, uh, cult, you know, culturally. And I can't even tell you what we do now, you know, in our greenhouses to clean them out to eliminate the amount of product that we use. I mean, now we go through our greenhouses and we're, you know, once a week, everything is being cleaned out with pressure water, you know, just cleaning, making sure that there's no algae, making sure that there's no decaying, uh, you know, leaf matter so that we can eliminate things like fungus gnats. We're using mm -hmm. uh, beneficial nematodes. You know, we're doing all these things, really trying to understand how can we um, kind of you know, just create a good growing environment with as little as, as little chemical as possible. None of us want to be around any of that stuff. No. And, you know, and I, I, I'm proud that we're all neonic free and, and we all do these things. Um, you know, the biggest thing is to reduce your, your footprint. Um, and that's important. And, and like Jim said, part of it's education. Like when we ship at this time of the year, Eupatorium, we're communicating with the customer saying, we're, we're sending you this plant based on its root system, not based on <laughs> yeah. how it looks, yeah. you know, from, from the soil up. But, uh, you know, uh, one of the new hires that Tom mentioned about, like some of the things, you know, the, the old model back in the day was you see an issue, you spray it. Um, but now you're getting hey, this is powdery mildew, but I put it under the microscope. I can see that it's not active. I can see that it's dead. There's no re – you know, at this point, it's just mm -hmm. um, – it's, it's visual. Yeah, yeah, it's residual, yeah. and it will be okay. We don't need to treat it. It's already taken care of itself. Mm -hmm. There's an understanding where we're having an issue with this plant, but maybe it's the soil in the greenhouse. We're not seeing an issue until the roots come out of the bottom of the pot and start to – to, yeah. to touch that soil and maybe it's the soil not our practices you know and yeah. if we can do that we can fix it without having to spray yeah so much and like matt what you're saying so much of it's cultural and one of the things i've really invested in and um is it was about five years ago someone was saying they got moisture meters and really started to measure their watering and uh and when they did that they cut their watering by like in half and uh there was it was a panel actually and like one person on the panel said in they cut it in half someone else said they cut it by like 75 percent and um everyone basically everyone cut it by half or more and even someone in the the audience was like oh yeah i started using my, my watering by 80 percent and i'm like oh my god how much water are you putting down yeah. and i've kind of brought that back and then when i started using some moisture sensors and then really looking at stuff you could run plants way way drier than you thought you could and when you did that a lot of your fungal issues went away. A lot of your insect issues go away because the plant's healthier and it can fight it off on its own. Yeah. So that was a, a big, big thing. And that's another friend of ours who isn't on this this panel, but Clear Ridge Nursery was yeah. one of the people on, who started using the moisture sensors and cut their watering back and said their plants were, they finished faster, they were healthier, and they had way yep. fewer issues. <laughs> so, yep. yeah. yeah. When, when uh, one of the, the propagators in, in our industry that I respect greatly is Tim McGinty at, mm -hmm. at North Creek Nurseries, and I worked with him at a, at a previous nursery. 
and he had a difficult task of replacing a propagator had, who had worked there for 45 years. And when he came in, he was just like, I don't think I've ever worked in such a dirty facility for creating life in plant material. And that was his biggest task was just cleaning and keeping it clean. And the difference was unbelievable immediately. And it was just the, the cultural practices and changing that mindset. And mm-hmm. it, it didn't need to, to be sprayed on the other end. It needed to be prevented yep. on our end. Mm-hmm. So it's, I think it's nice to see that we're all doing the right things. Yeah. Here's another question for you guys. And we broached it a little bit earlier when yeah. we talked about costs and then the rising cost of plastics. Well, one of the things we hear a lot is, well, or what are the alternatives to plastics? Have you guys, uh, now that the price is getting higher, well, there's some reason to look into switching. When plastics are cheap, it's uh, it's it's a big headache to switch away from plastics. Have you guys explored that at all? Have you found any any answers? So, Matt, I'll, I'll let you go first since I know you're always and, and it's okay the if the stuff. answer is the no. answer can be, be no. yeah, yeah. It's... so uh so the, the question is getting away from plastics and going into like a, a core based type pot yeah. peat pot whatever it yeah. is yeah some type of yeah so i mean i think you know like you said we're 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 exploring it uh we haven't found one that we've really liked that does everything that we needed to do and that you know that's been the challenge so from a you know from a you know some of them don't have the right proper drainage holes for us some of it is just the bulk of the product and being able to get, you know, they don't, mm-hmm. they don't stack like the plastic stacks too. So yeah. just from a space standpoint, there's so many things that go into it or from a, you know, from, from a, you know, from a, from a, uh, an assembly line standpoint, you know, making, making good use of efficient time. Um, so I'd like to think that we're going to get there and I, I think we're going to get there probably, I don't want to put a timeline on it, but I'd like to think that we're going to get there in some extent, but we're also looking at, you know, the, just the recycling of our plastics at this point as well. Um, and, and some of that is going to quite frankly, uh, from what I'm hearing from most of the, you know, the, the plastic supply guys is that it may be out of necessity more than, more than even, um, yeah. desire, um, just based on some of the, you know, the supply challenges that we're starting to see on plastics. And so this is something that we're really actively looking at is, you know, in, in making sure that we can recycle um, not just our own pots, but, you know, maybe pots from outside, you know, from other companies as well. We already mm-hmm. take back our own, but from outside companies as well, um, as long as we can disinfect properly and then it doesn't become, you know, we can't afford to hire people and have that be their full-time job. But if we can do it in a way that makes sense and we can disinfect and we can reuse, and, you know, that's something that we, we want to start incorporating more into our, you know, or just our, our, our normal routine. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I just think a lot of the products aren't quite there or the technology isn't yeah. quite there yet. Like we're all thinking about it. Jim, did you have anything to add to that? The only thing that we're dealing with right now or exploring with is we're, we're looking into the we're using some of the grow bags for our five, mm-hmm. three, five and seven gallons. And I think there's opportunities there. You know, there's they've been out there for a long enough time now. There's some good support for that. They do a nice job that, you know, when you get into the really sort of ethical part of this conversation, they're recycled, you know, uh, soda bottles essentially mm-hmm. or milk yeah. jugs in a lot of these situations which is great so the product has been repurposed and then it's got a second use and a second life but 
when you're done with it, you've still got a plastic product. And is it going to break down in the micros and the, you know, the, yeah, all the microplastics and stuff like that? Because they generally, I'm not sure how reusable they are. And then they, now you're still talking about a landfill. Do you take them back? So it's not an easy answer right now. Um, I do believe that we're going to like how they work. <laughs> I think they'll work in most of our existing systems. Um, you are using it, but then there's also some plastic manufacturers out there that use 70% recycled plastic. Um, and then in the case of what Matt said, you know, uh, especially our smaller container seedlings, uh, you know, we try, we actually will go around and pick those up from customers. It's worth it. It's an expensive product. It's only going to get worse with the things going on, but it's reusable for us for at least three growing seasons. And even if they get damaged, we'll use them as spacer pots as we grow them. So there's, there's something to be said for reuse. And then of course, you know, right now the recycling market, I think with COVID, we'll have to see where all that goes, but it's been pretty flat ever since China stopped accepting. And so, you know, it, it, it's only so what you can do recycling you know even locally they're having because of covid and the the breaks in supply chain and chain and how jobs are our local uh recycling facility can't even get drivers to pick up like instead of every other week it's it may be once a month uh you know they can't even get the material to the plant to even recycle it right now so it's it's an issue and i i know that tom and i've done an episode on this and and the research is going into it i'm hoping that Mm -hmm. we hit it hit it soon so our I'm, country needs to be, do a better job at getting uh, a market for these things instead of exporting mm-hmm. it we could be an import this could be an opportunity because of the supply chain you know it's the, the products there we just need to yeah. put the infrastructure yeah. and the energy and the resources behind it to figure it out mm-hmm. totally agree totally agree so i'm gonna i'm gonna wrap this up and we're gonna go to the last question i know we didn't get to all of our questions but that's just a testament on how good this conversation was we could easily talk for a, a way lot longer than this but people could be asleep by now they they might be (laughs) they might be but uh so we always end this with the same question it's it it started out as a simple question but it tends to be the hardest question for for most of our guests and and that is what is your favorite plant so i'm our favorite native plant i'm i'm sorry so matt we'll let you let you go first it can be you Those know, should be the same thing with this group. The favorite plant, yeah, favorite that's native true. plant. Should I shouldn't have to say that, but <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, I'm going to go with sassafras. Oh, nice one. Sassafras is my favorite. For uh, I, I like everything about it. I like yeah. the color of the bark as it grows. I like you know the the quirkiness of the foliage and, and having mm. you, know, you know three different sets of leaves on it. I love the fall color on it. I love the fragrance when you crush the leaf, and I love the flower in the springtime, just the subtlety of it when you see it growing. Um, that's that's a pretty easy question for me. That that's a great plant. That and that's a very popular native plant too. I think that's you know it's. If you it, ask that every time, I'm 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 worried that everybody else has said that has said that. No plant. one has said no. it. No, that's the first time someone has said it. All right, good. So awesome. How about you, Jim? Well, actually. Matt, it was on my short list. I got a twenty-foot sassafras in my backyard. It's a it's a signature tree. Uh, but I, if I have to select just one, I'm going to go with sycamore. Um, I don't know. I grew up with it in all of the streams and the connection to the Native American, the ghost tree. The wood is fantastic. Um, you know, not from a standpoint of forestry. I, I have a tendency to like plants that most of the forestry community would think are weeds. Um, but I don't know. There's just a lot of things that I like about it. Um, sassafras, I, I love. 
Um, and then if you go to a shrub, I probably have to go with spice bush. It's probably one of my favorite shrubs. But, of course, I also like sassafras, but it's also one of the more bears for us to grow uh, in our nursery. But uh, Same you know, here. Colonizer and, you know, root suckering and, you know, all that stuff makes it challenging from a propagation mm-hmm. standpoint. Exactly, exactly. And it makes me like it even more because of that. <laughs> yeah, so we, we always kind of end up with a final thought, and, and what we will do is give each of you the floor for a minute or two, and you can use it if you want to summarize, if you want to plug something, if you want to uh, mention something maybe we didn't bring up, but we just kind of give each person a final thought just to kind of end the show on. Jim, I'll, I'm going to hand it over to you. Use it. Use your time however you'd like. Um, huh. I think, you know, I, I actually already did hit on it. I, I think that for people that are listening to this, they need to go out and start looking at and talking to their growers and their, either their retailers or wholesalers and um, observe what's happening to our industry. I think everybody can be a part of this. Uh, you know, many people helped create the native plant movement, but this is industry wide. I, I, I have concerns about the state of this industry, and I think it's going to take a lot of people to be engaged to try to see how we turn this around. Some of it will be technology, but you got to have people that understand technology and understand the business to come in to do that. Um, so it's going to have almost like what Matt's talking about. You have to blend professions here to solve some of these problems. And I, I have a tendency to be a big picture guy and i have concerns about things right now so that's i i'm generally an optimist too and i don't mean to end on a on a sad note but there's yeah. some real issues confronting this industry and i think mm-hmm. they have to be addressed um so that's probably it and then i would also just say hey i love dealing with you know Pinelands and matt you guys are awesome awesome thank you that's that's a great final thought how about how about you matt yeah you know i think i'm just going to use my time to number one really thank you guys all for for having for having me and, and, and Jim on the show. Um, you know, Tom, your parents, um, your father in, in particular. I remember listening to him speak at a couple of events and kind of going through his whole you know his, the history that that uh, that you know led him down the path and, and him being a forester and pollinating Pinus rigida. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in, in the Pine Barrens. Actually, I think he was actually on Long Island and doing some of his research. Mm-hmm. And you know, I just. I'm so appreciative of being in an industry that has mentors like, you know, like the three of you guys and, and, and Tom, like your parents, um, you guys have really helped pave the way uh, for the native industry um, and for the, for the nursery industry in general. And so, you know, thank you guys for doing what you're doing. Thank you guys for um, raising awareness through efforts like this and your podcast and, and Jim, I think, you know, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, there's a lot of work that needs to be done from an industry standpoint, from a generational standpoint. So um, just kudos to all you guys uh, for doing what you're doing. And I really appreciate you inviting me to be, you know, a part of this podcast. And, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to make you guys proud and I appreciate, you know, all your, all your help as, as vendors and partners uh, from a business standpoint as well. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank both of you for the kind yeah, words. Yeah, we thank appreciate you very it. Much. Tom, would you yeah, like to go or you want me to go? Uh, yeah, I can go. Okay. I'll come up with something. Um, <laughs> no, basically what I, what I really want to hit on is as mentioned like a bunch of times, it's, it's hard to find people who wanted, I don't want to say want to do this, but nur- the nursery industry in particular is really driven it's somewhere in between agriculture and and conventional horticulture some of these big greenhouse chains it's pretty easy to get people because well you can get all these 
that that's where the people coming out of college want to go. But some of the smaller, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Family-run businesses. It's hard to find people because, like, when we were looking, well, we need someone who can wear five different hats. And, uh, and it's hard to find that without finding five different people. <laughs> and we were just able to do it. But, um, yeah, it's... It's a tough nurse, or it's a tough industry to be, and 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 a lot of people are aging out. There's a lot of, like we've said it a bunch. There's not a lot of young people who are coming into it, and it's hard to start one because it requires a lot of capital to do so. So yeah, awesome. I, I'm I'm along the same lines, and that's a great final thought. Um, the nursery industry is an easier industry to get out of than it is to stay in. Um, None of us, and and this isn't crying poor mouth. None of us got in this industry to to line our pockets with gold. Um, not saying that that we're hurting for for money or lifestyle. We we all do well, but you know it's not an industry that you're going to go into and become a uh, you know a billionaire. It, it's it's not going to happen. And and you do it because of the love of it. Um, much like much like agriculture, much like farming. I find a lot of common threads there. Um, you know, and we still have a long way to come. And the only way to do that a lot of times is with solidarity, doing just what we're doing right now and, and being friendly competitors. You know, even though we compete, we work together. And, and, and I want to thank both of you for coming on and, and sharing what you've shared with us and uh, with us and our listeners. And, and we're happy to be able to do the same. And that's the only way we move this forward is together. Um, and we need more of that, actually, to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully this is one small step towards a greater future. And, and you know, hopefully to our listeners that aren't from the industry, they, they gained a greater insight to what it takes to give you that plant that you fell in love with, um, to have that mm-hmm. planted in your yard. It, it, it takes a lot of uh, sweat and, and labor and, and love <laughs> to, to get you that plant. So uh, thank you all so much for, for being a part of this yeah. today. We really appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, if I could change my final thought, it would be just that. It's, it's, <laughs> we're lucky to work in a sector of the industry that really cares about what they're doing. It's not just a plant that's going out on the back of the truck. Yeah. It's knowing that that plant is actually making a difference, too, and putting in a lot of love to it. So, yeah, yeah, that was a great, great final thought, Fran. Wow, you that may be a first. Else, so I want to compliment you, too. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, Thank you. With that. I'd like to say our, uh, our, we, we expect our plants to work for their dinner. Our plants <laughs> and native plants are going out there, and they're working hard. They're working really hard. Yeah. They don't have an easy job. They're not, mm-hmm. you know, so it, you got to work hard to get them to that point. Yeah. I agree. I so. agree. Well, that is it. We want to thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to our rooted discussion. For more information, visit the Native Plants Healthy Planet website. For links, we're going to put up that uh, link to that article. Yes. Jim, if you can send it to us, we'll put that on the website as well. And you'll be able to find the, the websites for each of these nurseries on there as well. Um, I lost my place. Oh, yeah. Thank you, everyone, for, for listening to Native Plants Healthy Planet presented by Pylons Nursery. As always, we're going to give a huge uh, shout-out to RJ Comer for contributing our theme music to Rooted Discussions. Uh, make sure you download or stream his music wherever you consume your music, iTunes, Spotify. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Pinelands Nursery, or Native Plants underscore Healthy Planet, uh, and YouTube at Pinelands Nursery uh, keep calling the question and comment line we had a lot of great calls on the last buzz and more calls came in since then we're really excited about it 
Uh, the number is 215-346-6189. I will repeat that. 215-346-6189. When we play your question on a future buzz, we'll answer it um, and hopefully give you some good insight. Sometimes we've got nothing, <laughs> but but hopefully we can answer your question or, or give you some insight into uh, what you're curious about. So, uh, And let's not forget the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group. We're just shy of that 500 mark, so it just keeps growing every episode. So, uh, And the conversations this week have been off the chart. So thank you for everyone that's uh, been posting so much in the uh, Facebook group, and let's keep it going there. I have in here that I'm supposed to give a shirt update, but I shirt. forgot the look before the, uh, the episode. But we are wearing our. I our figured new when we shirts. go get to 500 is when we'll make the first okay. donation, which right. we're we're pretty close to. Yeah. yeah, we're wearing new shirts. I'm going to show a snippet of mine. I can't. It's not released yet, so I can't show the whole thing. Yeah, but so uh, but that, yeah. for 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 our <laughs> listeners that don't know, the shirts 100 percent of the proceeds. Uh, are being donated to uh, certain nonprofit organizations. Certain shirts, uh, the proceeds will go directly to that uh, nonprofit. Mm-hmm. We have one for the Xerces Society. We have one for uh, New, New Jersey, Jersey Audubon. Audubon. Some of them will just be, it goes into a pool, and when we have enough money, it will benefit so many of these great mm-hmm. nonprofits that have been guests on our uh, website. So if you buy a shirt, you're spreading the message, and you're doing a lot of good by, we're, we're keeping none of that money. It's going to the people that matter. Um, as always, you can listen to Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast directly at our website, which is www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com, which I found out we had another person who listens through the website that we've converted yes. to listening yes. through more uh, modern ways like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, really wherever you consume your podcasts. Uh, when you're there, if you can do us a huge favor, leave a five-star review and hit subscribe. It makes a big, big difference. And um, and as always, share it with a friend. We want to keep spreading this message. So with that, thank you, everyone. I'm Tom. And I am Fran. Thank you again, everyone, for listening. Thank you to Jim and Matt. Thank you for so much for uh, being a part of this episode. Uh, and uh, thank you for, for listening and being a part of this. Coming up next week, we have a new episode of The Buzz, subject to be determined. Uh, until then, keep it native. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.